Today's lesson text comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. Now, Jesus had just, in our last chapter, performed two mighty miracles, tipping the hat, as it were, to who he really was, in feeding the five thousand and in walking across the sea. Jesus had displayed to the disciples that he was God incarnate. And now the Gospel of Mark is going to take a hard right turn back to chapter 2. And when I first introduced the book of Mark, I said that in church tradition, Mark is what Peter preached. And Peter was notorious for preaching out of order. And this is one of the few places scholars see that Mark just takes a really hard right turn from everything that we've been reading so far and get into a debate. So, we took a hard right turn, so today is going to come a little out of nowhere. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the Pharisees and some of the scribes who come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without purifying them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they first wash themselves on returning. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not live according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you, you hypocrites, as it is written. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition, Jesus said. Then they responded to him, You have a then Jesus said to the Pharisees, continuing, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that if anyone tells father or mother, whatever support you may have had for me is corbin, that is, an offering to God, that you no longer permit doing anything for a father or a mother. Thus may you glory the word of God through your tradition that you handed out. And that's just one example. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile. But the things that come out are what defile. And when they left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. He said to them, But did you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart, but the stomach, and ends up in the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And Jesus said, It is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions form. Evil thoughts come 
fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, folly. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts may bring honor and glory to you. Amen. So this is a big section, but Mark intends it to be a three-part series. First, the Pharisees come and give a charge against Jesus. Hey, Jesus, why aren't your disciples washing their hands? Two, Jesus gives a counter. Well, you guys, you know, the Lord says on your father and mother that you change that. And then three, we get an exposition where Jesus explains the thinking. So, Jesus in the Gospel of Mark has already shown himself to be rather different from the Pharisees. We have already looked at his debate about fasting and what's a true fast and what's a false fast. Jesus has already shown that he differs very much with the scribes and the Pharisees over who a Jew should have table fellowship with. We remember the famous example of, hey Jesus, why are you eating with sinners? And Jesus has even shown that in the synagogue and on the Sabbath, he differs with the religious leaders who sat there and said, Jesus, are you going to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus said, yes. And it ultimately ended up in chapter 3 with the scribes saying that Jesus was performing exorcisms by the spirit of Beelzebub, that he was casting out demons with demons. So this picks up that same stark religious debate that Jesus is having with these scribes. Now, first off, Mark is being a little hyperbolic when he says that all Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands. This did not apply to the sinners with whom Jesus was eating and having table fellowship and the regular run-of-the-mill people. And the washing of hands, especially at a time of Corona, is one of those things that just makes me go, ew, they were eating without washing their hands. But that shows just how cultural our understanding of this passage is. Uh, the best translation that I found, and the best way to describe it is, the Pharisees and the people who followed their teachings would cut their hands like this, and they'd do a very showy ritual where they would pour the water over the hands and kind of wash them around like it was hand sanitizer. There was only a, a little bit of water, and none of it was about sanctification. They said a blessing as they did, and the reason that this became a custom was that it matched what the priests did in the Old Testament. Priests did that way back in Exodus had to wash their hands and their feet before they entered the tabernacle. And in a positive way that even comes into the New Testament, there was a sense that Israel was the priesthood of all believers. So in washing their hands and taking these tabernacle rules that were only for Levites, the idea was that the whole people would be made holy as the Ten Commandments start, I, the Lord, holy, my people shall be holy. But Mark shows just how it got in what, when he wrote it, was a snide comment about washing cups, pots, and bronze kettles. The, the misfucking of idols. 
and, and Mark's explanation of this is meant to be ironic, but it was very true. There's no hyperbole in this. The idea that that you couldn't have any kind of uncleanliness clinging to you, uh, especially comes through in a verse I did not like how my verse is translated. But verse 4, that they do not get anything from the market unless they watch it. Mark is saying that whenever they come home from the market, they do this whole ritual bath of dipping their hands in and washing themselves over, just in case they accidentally had some contact with the Gentile or something else. So the whole point of this is, the Pharisees and the scribes had invented this system where they couldn't have any accidental defilement because you had to be completely watching yourself externally. And as my mother likes to say, you can start a religion about taking three showers a day. As long as you're religious about it, you can get folks to shower three times a day. If you tell them that's what makes them pure and clean and better than everyone else, folks will start taking three showers a day. And the problem that Jesus had with that system was, it was about as deep as showering three times a day. And while they can use these justifications, well, this matches what the priest did in, in Exodus, it's the priesthood of all believers, it shows we're a holy people, it was purely external. And Jesus calls out that external when they challenge him with a strong rebuke, quoting Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. He even says in 8, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human traditions. So Jesus here, and there's no way to not get into a little bit of this, Jesus here shows himself to be the first Protestant a little bit. Where is it written that we have to wash our hands with the original? Where is any of this in the law that God has given Israel to make them a holy people? If what makes you holy or not has nothing to do with following the law, but with following your oral traditions, folks, you are setting up a problem. So Mark turns to the counter, where Jesus says you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. And Jesus points to the commandment, honor your father and mother, and how the scribes that they would, and it's no hyperbole here, would lay that down if you had said the stuff was quartered. Now, the best way to explain that concept is you're saying, I give it to the Lord. Kind of like you're giving it to the temple or something else. But it's not quite the way our minds think of tithing. You could say this is dedicated to the Lord and keep it. So, Jesus is here setting up an example where if the, the son had said of his property that it's corporate, that it's given up to God, he doesn't have to give it to the temple. He can use it as he always does. But in saying it's Corbin, he's made it more holy. Now it's dedicated to God. But the problem with that is, is having made that oath, say his parents were me. Well, even though his parents are his parents, the scribe would say, he couldn't take what was holy, what was God's, and give it to someone else. So what the what the scribal tradition was doing long and short of it was they were using one command to void another 
Don't break oaths to break the command, honor your mother and father. And Jesus just in this section shows that he is anti, in no way supports the oral traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees, and it's against any sort of compromise of the written law for the oral rules that people had come up with. Especially in the case of something like this, where it was in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother, Jesus would not allow a technical argument to get in the way of fulfilling that. So in this way, Jesus is arguing in keeping with what he says at the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Not one dot or one iota shall pass away from the law. And that way too, Jesus is showing himself to be a reformer. The problem that Jesus is getting at is that the law has been established by God itself to make Israel holy. And the scribes and Pharisees thought that if they fenced it, if they added extra regulations to keep you from even getting close to the law, they'd make you even holier. But in so doing, they stood off from God. They stood off from that relationship that the law was supposed to give the people of Israel with God and created their own righteousness apart from it. And Christ here in confronting the Pharisees gets in on it and pushes. Now, to just apply this to today is a little difficult because how many of us are sitting here and like, ooh, Pastor Paul, I'm just waiting for you to eat that shellfish. It's a little hard to bring Old Testament legal debates between the scribes and the Pharisees no matter how much the differences between our religions and Judaism still remain, it's hard to bring that into the church to figure out how to apply it to our lives. The most obvious one would be the case in church history in which there was an oral tradition that conflicted with the written word of God. The scripture says that a man, a woman, relates to God solely through faith. It's justified purely by the confession Jesus is Lord, and there is nothing to get in the way of that. But in the same pharisaical viewpoint, there was always a desire to fence it. To say, well, yeah, you have to believe, but even using the reading from James today, they, they, they took it, and well, you also have to keep it worse. More than this, you, you have to confess your sins and repent, you have to go to a priest to confess and repent. And before you know it, instead of relating in the way that was intended through the gospel, you have a whole ecclesiastical hierarchy. So this is something in the human spirit that just exists. And I will just say quickly that if, you, if Jesus would not allow this in the conservative term, or let's make religion about a whole bunch of rules and everything else, Jesus is here saying the law overrides the oral tradition. Is going to be the same Jesus who says the law still stands regardless of your opinion on it. There are far too many preachers today who want to take the Old Testament and just say, oh yeah, that doesn't count. God's relationship throughout all of history and in relation to the people of Israel and his particular way of relating to them and, well, 
we'll just get rid of that because we don't like a couple verses in Leviticus or anything else. Jesus will have no more pity and will quote the same Isaiah to us. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctors. Cuts both ways. Jesus is not one iota or dot shall pass. But just continuing on, Jesus finally then gives his exposition. So he's been challenged by the Pharisees. He says, hold on, wait. He gives his pattern. Look at how your system bends everything. Then he gives the guiding principles. And this is where we really get our application because this, this is just plain teaching that he gives the disciples. He takes them away from the crowd into the room with the disciples asking in verse 17, what does this all mean? And in verse 18, we get this curt response. Then do you fail to understand? So Mark is tying this into what just happened a couple weeks ago when there was the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples see it, and they get mad at Jesus for it. It even says when Jesus gets in the boat in the crowd, I mean in the storm, but they didn't understand or see who Jesus was because their hearts were hardened. And we start to see that this conflict with the disciples is going to keep going. It's going to go all the way out to the cross at Calvary. But to just get back onto our topic fully, Jesus points out that you do not see whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile, so that sin enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer. Jesus' this later teaching that he's declaring all fruits clean is going to take a couple more books in the Old Testament to sort out. We have the book of Galatians and a couple others. The early church was iffy on how to relate with all of it. But again, what Jesus is saying, in a second, he's pointing out that it is of no moral virtue what you do and do not eat. And one of the things that's very hard for a biblical scholar like myself to explain at times is, when we read the Old Testament and we see unclean and defilement, we tend to take it as sin. But in the Old Testament usage, cleanliness was about being able to approach God at the temple. There was never the sense that if you went out and you ate a pork chop, yes, you'd be defiling yourself, yes, you would be ritually unclean. And there's nothing in here to say Jesus would even condemn those who refused to make themselves unclean like in Maccabees, where they try to force it upon the Jewish people. But becoming unclean was something that just sort of happened. If you accidentally stepped over a whitewashed tomb, you were unclean. You touched a dead body to get it out of the house, you were unclean. You petted a dog, you were ritually unclean. The, the moral implications of cleanliness and uncleanliness are not what we read into it. So what Jesus is saying is he's saying, yes, it makes you ritually unclean to eat a pork chop, but it doesn't change who you are as a person. It may make you ritually unclean to pick up a dead body, but it's not an excuse for you doing bad things, and it's not a reason why you're going to do good things. These things are neutral. So bringing it into the church age, where we don't have to worry about cleansing or anything else, because the Holy Spirit dwelling in us means we're already approached to God, there is nothing that is ever going to improve or reduce our moral character in what we just plan to consume. Because ultimately, Jesus makes the argument here, it goes out into the sewer. You are just drinking it. But Jesus is saying, turn this to the heart. 
And going back to Mark 1, where Jesus preaches the kingdom is near, repent. Jesus is a heart surgeon throughout the whole gospel of Mark. And he says, it's what comes out from within you that defiles. So while the cleanliness, uncleanliness may not be the issue, the reason it could point to moral failures is you not caring about it. In the Jewish context, Jesus is speaking. So I don't care about it. It's that attitude of heart. So if you wash your hands and you do it just so you feel special, or if it makes you feel clean, but you don't do anything to purify your heart or to say you're thankful to God for food. It's the same thing as an empty prayer. God is great, God is good, and we take him for the food. In a flippant manner. It doesn't make you any more holy or sanctified than it does in the other case. And Jesus in his typical hellfire fashion then lists the evil intentions that come. Uh, the only thing I will say on that is it, it's a pretty inclusive list, but Jesus shows where his typical uh, moral teachings go, and that he starts the list with fornication, in the middle goes to adultery, then ends up with licentiousness and folly. So he lists <laughs> inclusively. Fornication is is stricter than just adultery, licentiousness is looser than just everything else. And Jesus says it is out of the heart that all the true evil comes. So to take a first idea of this and just apply it, the rules and regulations that everyone was living in, the religion of Jesus' day, we're being used to avoid the real conviction and the real look deep down into who a person was. Those things that come from within, as verse 23 says, those things that defile a person. Very much like it became later in the church age, where confession, whether of belief or of sin, became a replacement for actual faith and belief and dedication. When James is talking about faith without works being dead, he's not saying that works save you, but what he's saying is real faith leads to something. One of the interesting things about the Protestant view of salvation through faith is your death faith confession may not be worth as much as you think. If you think that you can live your whole life however you want, and at the last end you are going to switch status over to the good team by punching your card of like, oh yes, I believe in Jesus and now I'm good. That's not what it's talking about. And in fact, Jesus is here condemning that very kind of religion where you think by just saying a sinner's prayer at the last second, you are in. By just going to a priest and listing off everything that you've done and saying, well, I'm sorry for it, that you are now forgiven. That's washing the hands. And that's just washing it with water. Jesus is here preaching the gospel and he's preaching something that is a deep-seated conviction that you can't hold like a second. That you can't take comfort in that, well, I just said it. Because where the Pharisees wanted to wash the hands with water, Jesus was going to wash the entirety of his flock with his blood. Something far more precious, far more costly 
but far more purified. So we shall continue with the Gospel of Mark after next week where we will have a short service and I'll do something special for that. So let us pray.